Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. We can never get rid of that intro music. I know we talk about it every week, but it just it's awesome. It feels like I'm about to go into like a 30,000-person stadium and play basketball or something. I don't know. But um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. We've been going through our F260 Bible reading plan together. Um, and this week, we're continuing in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8. Verses 1 through 12, as Andrew mentioned. And if you haven't started that Bible reading um, plan with us, uh, we've been commending that to you. And I want to do the same this morning. If you haven't gotten on with us on that Bible reading plan, I want to commend it to you. It's been great to walk together um, through a Bible reading plan as a church. And especially if you've never, I've never really, I don't think I've ever read through the Bible in a year. I've tried. And this one in particular is great because um, it takes, you know, uh, sort of highlight passages throughout the Bible. And so it's very reader friendly. So if you want one of those, we have hard copies over at Next Steps after the service. You can grab one. Andrew will get one of those to you. Um, But jumping into this week and coming out of last week, um, Pastor Andrew took us through the book of Nehemiah and how he and other exiled Jews had come back from exile to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they had faced all of this opposition, if you remember what Andrew had to say on that last week. And despite all of that opposition, the walls were finished. They finished building the walls in chapter 7. It tells us about the list of exiles who had come back to Jerusalem. And that takes us straight into chapter 8, where we see the people gathering together And specifically, we see them gathering and assembling around the Word of God. So this week, the the title of the sermon is The Word That Does the Work. Um, And it's about an assembly of people that are founded on the Word of God. So there's there's five aspects of this that I want to focus on this morning, on the centrality of the Word. I believe the passage points these out. Um, First, the people gathered around the Word to the significance of the Word. Three, understanding the word. Four, the grief in the word. And five, the joy in the word. All right, so without further ado, let's jump right in. If you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read um, through those now. It says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose And beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places." 
They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Did you notice all the hard names I had to read? I think Andrew gave me, I think that was on purpose. Just want to, I want that to go as noticed. Anyways, uh, so the first thing that I, I want us to notice in this passage, first point, the people are gathered around the word. The people are gathered around the word. What we first notice is that in verse 1, the ESV, it, translated, it translates um, this. It says, the people gathered as one man. The people gathered as one man. This means that as they gathered, they gathered together in a unity of spirit. They gathered as one body, as one person all belonging to the same God. Much like in, in the Bible, it speaks in the New Testament about New Testament believers being one body in the church. In, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink, of one spirit. And we see this principle, it's crazy to see it in Nehemiah, we see this principle throughout the entirety of Scripture that God is not only after individuals to reconcile to himself, but he's after a a body of believers. Although they carry differences, although they are different, they're united around him. They're united around his word. They're united around Christ. Um, And if you look at current Christian culture in many areas and for many people, it can be about my relationship with Jesus. It can be about me and Jesus. I'm walking through life. It's me and him, um, me and my personal relationship. And while that is certainly very important in the Bible places a huge emphasis on our personal relationships with God, um, it also places a huge emphasis on the fact that God is out to save a, a whole people to himself. Um, And I don't want to labor on this point too much because I don't think the passage is primarily about all the intricacies of spelling out what it means that we're one body. Um, But I think you can notice this thread throughout the Bible about the principle stated in that 1 Corinthians 12 verse that I just read. Where Christ, listen to that, where Christ is today, where God is present the most, where he is working primarily is through his body, is through his church. And we see this thread throughout this passage in Nehemiah that God has gifted believers differently. All are not the same, are they not? Um, Ezra, the scribe and the priest, is called forward to read from the law and to lead God's people in what they're about to do with the scriptures. We see the Levites, who were called to be, they were teachers. um, And we see them instructing the people in how to understand what the word says. Um, We see mention of Nehemiah, the governor, and we've already seen how God used him mightily throughout um, this book. 
Um, even at, we didn't read it this morning, but at the end of chapter seven, we see a list of ex, of all the exiles, the thousands of exiles that were that had come together, and we see gifts at the end of chapter seven that were given by those people. It says this in verse seventy of chapter seven. Now, some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury one thousand derricks of gold, fifty basins. 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 57 priests' garments. So we can see in that, even in that, that God has gifted different people with different gifts. In that specific instance, we see how God has gifted people with the gift of generosity, how some are able and willing to give more than others. Um, we, and we see this example in our church, right? All people are not the same. We see people that can stand up here and, and they sing beautifully, and we wouldn't want anybody just to come up and sing, right? I'm sure some of you might be able to identify with that. Some are generous. Some are servants. Some are gifted in prayer. Some in hospitality. We have folks that are praying right now in um, the boiler room, um, and we all, we all need each other. We all need each other. Later in that 1 Corinthians 12 verse, we see Paul talk about how, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but the mouth can't say to the foot, I don't have need of you, so on and so forth. Um, it, it means that we don't ask everyone to do the same works. We don't ask everyone to do the same thing. Um, I don't know if you ever feel this temptation. Sometimes you can look look at what you're doing and you look around and, you're, and you feel like you're on your own. You feel like, I'm doing all this hard work and I look around at these other Christians and they're not doing the things that I, but God has, in some ways, God has gifted us very differently. Some are, some are teachers, some are generous, some are hospitable, some are, you can go on down the line, I'm sure you can think of plenty of examples. And the thing is, is that we need, the thing is we need each other. We need each other so badly. Um, I don't need to illustrate that to you, do I? Because I think the Bible spells it out pretty well for us. It paints the picture of a body, of how the body parts need each other. I've, I've heard it explained this way by, um, you guys have heard us talk about J.D. Greer. He's a pastor. Um, he talks about how if, if your leg has an itch, um, your leg sends a signal to your brain and says, I itch. And then your brain sends a signal to your hand to go itch that itch. Um, but what if one day your hand doesn't come to work? You know, you're going to have this itch and it's just not going to go away because your hands aren't there to help. You know, so we, we need each other. We are, we are codependent. Um, God has created specific works for each of us and they're tailored to the way that he has gifted us. This means that, Christian, I want you to hear this today, that you need each other that you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're able to provide help to you and others that you cannot provide to yourself or to others. And I want to be open here for a moment because there have been times in my life where I've thought it might be, it would be much easier for me not to have to be a part of a church, for me not to have to be involved with other believers. You know, people sin. They have different opinions than I do. Uh, they're different than me. But the Bible teaches us that we need each other, that God has brought us together for a purpose. Um, if you ever find yourself thinking that way, 
I was so helped to remember that life would actually be much harder without other Christians in my life. Um, there's advice that certain people can give you that you can't think of yourself. There are certain aspects of God that I don't naturally grasp, but others can shed light on. I don't know if you ever experienced that. You're going through a hard time and you just can't seem to get over it. And then you talk to the right person and they're able to pray for you or give you a certain bit of advice. And you're like, God, thank you so much for putting that person in my life. That's how it works. We are a body. We are dependent on each other. Um, so you each provide that. Do you see that? You each provide that. If you're a Christian here today, the Bible teaches us that you've already been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that you've been given specific gifts from him. Do you know that? And so have all the other believers around you. And listen, they need you. They need you. And you need them. You need them. So... That's the first point, that the people were gathered around the word as one man. And we're going to move on to the second point, which is the significance of the word. The significance of the word. You see, when all the people gathered, what did they see to do right off the bat? What was the first thing they did? They sent for Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses. They wanted to hear from God. And to do that, what they did was opened his revealed word to them. Not only did they open it, but in verse 3, we're told that the people are listening attentively and that Ezra stood on a wooden platform so that all the people could be attentive to what was said. Their attention was to what was being read from the word. They were captivated by it. Um, And that's because the word is significant. It carries weight. It is the revealed word of God. Um, For them, it was the law of Moses. For us today, it's the 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when we want to hear from God, yes, we pray. Yes, we ask the Spirit to move and to speak to us. Amen to that. But the primary way that God speaks and the way that the Spirit speaks to us is through his written word. It's how we learn about God and it's how we learn about what he desires, his plan, his will. We must come to it knowing that God has spoken to us through it. We also see that the Jews had a reverence in their hearts for this law. In verse 5, it says that as um, he opened the book, all the people stood. We also see later that the people lifted their hands and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Why did they do this? Why did they do this? They had a reverence for the word of God. They had a respect for it. They had, it was significant to them. And now I'm not saying we all need to bow down or stand when, I, when we're reading the word or lift our hands or doing something like that. But um, do you see it's, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Is there a special place in your heart for the word? Do you see that it's God's direct word to us? The way he reveals himself, his desires, his dislikes, how he works. Do you see that? Not only that, do you care about that? Does it affect you like this, how it affected these Jews? It affect, you could tell by their actions that it affected their hearts. Um, when people care about something, you'll be able to see it in the way that they act, in the way that they express themselves. We all know this. Um, it's why we hear people amening throughout our services sometimes, right? Or um, lifting their hands in worship while we're singing songs or bowing their heads in prayer and reverence. It's an outward sign of something that's taking place in the heart. 
Or think about when you talk to someone, how can you know what holds a deep place in their heart? How can you know? Um, it's by how they act. It's by how, what they talk about. It's by what they get excited about. It's by what they put on display. Um, my father-in-law is a, a big basketball fan. And uh, one of the first things you may notice when, he, when you walk into his house is a display case sitting over by his um, fireplace on like a counter that they have. And uh, it's a, it's a, uh, inside the display case is a basketball signed by Michael Jordan. He's a huge basketball fan. He loved watching Michael Jordan. And if you get to talking to him about basketball, he may just bring up who he considers to be the best player of all time, um, although some may disagree. And, um, but just by talking and, and him getting excited about those things, you can, you can tell uh, that, he has, that he has an affinity, that he has a passion for basketball, and he has a passion for Michael Jordan. It means something to him. Um, so my question to you today is, does God and his word, his works, and worship towards him, does it mean something to you? Does it mean something to you? Or is there a dryness? Is there a staleness? Is there an indifference towards him? Or maybe you're unsettled towards him today. Maybe you're unhappy with how life has gone. You're feeling as if God doesn't care about your struggles and your troubles that you're going through. And so maybe you have a little bit of bitterness towards God this morning. Um, The way to deal with such a thing, it's not simply to start raising your hands in worship or bowing your head or saying amen during sermons, although that, that can certainly help. I'm not saying don't do those things. Those things are great. But you see, it's a heart issue. It goes down deeper than that. You need to see with the eyes of your heart that God is all that he is, that he is holy, that he is just, that he's kind, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's personal to you, that he's patient, that he's done all these works for you because he loves you. Um, As you see those kinds of things about God, I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches that as you see his glory through his character, you'll start to desire him naturally, and this outward worship will fall from you like fruit from a tree, right? I think that's the the picture that the Bible um, paints for us, is that as we change, as as we see, as we behold the glory of God, we are changed And as we're changed, we become more like him. Um, So that's number two. Number three, understanding the word. We see this focus throughout throughout this entire passage, an emphasis on the importance of understanding the word. In verse two, it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. In verse seven, it says that the Levites helped the people understand the law. And in verse 8, they read from the law and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And then in verse 12, it says that the people rejoiced and sent portions to those in need of it because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You see, it's not only the goal that the word be central in our lives and in our churches, that's certainly a goal, but that the word be understood properly. We want the word to be understood properly. You see, there are thousands and thousands of churches around the world that say they have the truth. There are thousands of churches that, that teach what the Bible says and millions of people that read their Bibles and believe what it says. But I, it's possible that as we read what this says that we can be in error, right? 
Did you know that? It's not just that we, we want to read our Bibles. We want to know our Bibles. We want to understand what it says. Um, so this is, that's part of what the nation of Israel is after here is uh, an understanding that brings about real life change. Um, I've used this illustration before. It's, it's from a pastor named Ray Ortland, and I can remember him using it in a sermon that he preached. Um, picture a newspaper. I know I'm, I'm assuming everybody here knows what a newspaper. We don't have anybody young enough not to know what a newspaper is, I think. Uh, but picture, picture a newspaper. What if you read the comic section of a newspaper as an obituary? Or what if you read the sports section as a comic? Or what if you read, I don't know, an ad as if it was sports? You'd be reading it in the wrong context, right? You'd be reading it opposite of what the intention of the author is. You wouldn't, you you probably wouldn't get it. What if you didn't, like I said, what if you didn't know what a newspaper was? You started reading and you're like, what, like, what is some of this? Um, but if you read the sports for sports, you read the ads for ads, the comics for comics, you'll under, you come to an understanding of what the writers of that newspaper are, newspaper are actually after. And I believe it's the same with the Bible. We can, we can misapply, we can, we can read it in the wrong context. And if we do that with the Bible, and we, we can actually go against what the author of that scripture is saying. We can totally misunderstand it, and then it can cause us to live in a wrong way. Um, we can misunderstand God, and then we can misunderstand ourselves because of it. So what do we do about this? Um, how do we resolve that? Um, from this passage, we can see specifically that the people of Israel subjected themselves to teachers, we see the teaching of the word that was taking place um, and that they were dedicated to giving them the sense as to what they were listening to and what it meant. It's so important for each of us to be under sound biblical teaching so that we can rightly understand what the Bible is teaching us, verse by verse, passage by passage, chapter by chapter, and so on. Um, and to take it to even a deeper level, back to the heart this morning, this is what Psalm 119, 144 says, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Give me understanding that I may live. You see, we need help from God himself to have understanding about what the Bible says. We need help from God. We are totally dependent on him to enlighten us, to give us what we need. You see, he is our good shepherd. He is our father. He desires to give us an understanding of what this word says. So you can ask him that today. You can pray that today. If you desire understanding, you're reading through your Bible and you're like, I, I just am not getting this at all. And, and pray and ask him. Or you're having a hard time during a sermon paying attention or focusing. Pray and ask him, God, give me understanding. Help me to understand. And one amazing thing is that he may not necessarily just zap you with knowledge. He may, he'll use means. He'll use a friend. He'll use a sermon. He'll use a podcast. He may just give you understanding during your personal Bible reading, but God will use means to help you understand what this word says, and he won't turn you away. He won't turn you away. So that's number three. Number four, another point that we see, we see the grief in the word. We see the grief in the word. In a, we read in verse nine, it says this, and Nehemiah said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, why would the people be weeping? 
right? It's kind of, it, it's just a, a character or a, a, a thing that we see in the passage, and it's, there's no really specific reason that it gives us. It doesn't say they started weeping because of this. Um, so we have to sort of deduce a reason. It's not immediately clear. But I think we can confidently say this. The people were getting a sense of their own sinfulness. The people were getting a sense of their own sinfulness. Through the reading and understanding of the word, God was convicting them of their own sin. Um, We've talked about this before, but this is a pattern we see when people start to really understand what the word of God says. It starts with grief about our own sin. Um, You begin to to see that you've disobeyed God. Um, In this case, the people of Israel... Um, as they were reading the book of the Law of Moses, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as they were listening to this being read, um, they heard about their forefathers. They heard about Adam and Eve. They heard about the laws that God had commanded them, about how God had brought them through trials. And they started to realize themselves that they had done as their predecessors had done. They had disobeyed. They had sinned. They had done exactly what every other human does. They fall short of the glory of God. Um, Nathan Cole was a farmer in the 1700s in Connecticut during uh, one of the Great Awakenings when George Whitfield, you may have heard that name before, he's a famous evangelist and minister at the time. He came to town, and and everyone is coming to hear him preach because he's a famous evangelist. And uh, Nathan Cole wrote this, I believe, in his diary following his experience there. He says this, And my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. Did you catch that first part? My hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. That's what's happening here for the Israelites, is it not? As they hear the word of God preach, their hearts were wounded. They began to weep. They began to experience a lot of sadness. And we have to go there. I know it's uncomfortable to go there, I think. As churches, you want people to feel well, and you want people to experience joy. You want people to experience satisfaction in God, but in order for that to happen, people have to see their own sinfulness. People have to see not only that their, their bad things keep them from God, but their, even their best acts will not bring them back to God. The best that they do will not get them there. The gospel goes there. Before it takes us up into the skies to rejoice, it buries us down deep into the dirt. And what I mean is that it tells us of our sin and it tells us of our ugliness before God. Nothing we do, good or bad, can make us right before him. So what can be done? What can be done about that? If if I can't do anything, what must be done? Um, And that brings us to our final point this morning, number five, the joy in the word the joy in the word. In response to the weeping and mourning of the people, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the other leaders said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And then later in in verse 10, it says, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to any who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They're saying, stop your weeping. It doesn't fit the day, for today is holy. Today is a day set apart to the Lord. Today should be a joyous day. They saw that the way to honor God was not to sit around and grovel in their grief, but that they could rejoice. 
Now, why could they rejoice? Why could they rejoice? In verse 10, it says this. Nehemiah said, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? What does that mean, the joy of the Lord? You see, God, our God, he's not mainly a God of judgment. He's not mainly a God of wrath and punishment. Um, of course, those are aspects of who God is. Um, but one, he is mainly a God of redemption, mainly a God of patience, faithfulness, and love. And as the law was being read, the Israelites would have heard time and time again of how God had brought them out of sure destruction. How he had, because, well, they were, in, and they were in those situations because of their own sin, were they not? Or because of the oppression of the world or, or because of um, the oppression of others that, that had put them there. But they would have heard of God's promises to never leave or forsake his people. They would have heard how he would promise to redeem them. And as they heard this truth, they believed it and they rested in it and it caused rejoicing. You see, brothers and sisters, we are called to the same thing. This world has fallen. We've all seen terrible things. We've caused terrible things, I think, if we're honest, by our own sin. And to some sense, we can understand why the Jews would grieve and mourn. Do we not have, a, have plenty to mourn and grieve this morning? We do. And at the top of that list is our own sin. But we can rest today, not in our own goodness, not in the goodness of others, not in the, not in the control of our government, not in my family, not in my possessions, but in God, because he is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is mighty to save. He sent a Savior. He sent Christ for us. If we would simply rest in his promise to save us through him day after day, if we would do that, we, we can rest. We can rejoice despite all the sadness that's in our world. And we see the mention of holiness here as well. Um, this day is holy to the Lord. And I think if we're honest, sometimes I think our perspective of holiness can be a little bit off. We typically only think about it as God's righteousness and his judgment towards sinners, um, and that if we don't get our act together, that God's going to get us, right? That's, I think that can be the general sense that we, that we typically think of God's holiness. Um, but I want to I end here. Uh, well, I have a quote from Jackie O'Perry. There is something to be said for God's judgment, and we must think about what it means that God is holy. We've we got to think about this. If God is holy... He is set apart not only in his righteousness and his perfection, but he's set apart in all that he is. It means that he is holy in his goodness. He is holy in his trustworthiness. He is holy in his gentleness. He is holy in his patience. He is holy in his love. Uh, and here's where I want to I put in the quote from Jackie O'Perry. She recently came out with a book. It's called Holier Than Thou. And I would recommend this book to you. It's specifically written on that topic of God's holiness. And she says this, if God is holy, then he can't sin. If he can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? You see, we need to think of God's holiness a little bit differently than just that he is perfect or just that he, um, yes, he, he hates our sin, but his love is holy. His patience is holy with us. So let yourself go there today. And here's the beautiful thing. If you understand that today, rejoice because God is at work. Remember at the end of that passage, what does it say? They went on rejoicing because they had understood. 
because they had understood. If you understand today, rejoice. That is a work of God in your life today. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much for your word. We just pray that you would give us understanding as we read, as we listen to your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us um, a conviction that we need each other. Although we have different opinions, although we have different, um, we come from a lot of different backgrounds, we have even different church backgrounds, and it causes us to have different opinions. And so I just ask that you would bring us together and help us to see that we need each other, like, like the different parts of our body are dependent on each other. And God, I, I pray that you would, that we would be reminded, yes, of our sin and our failures, but we would only go there in order to be brought back up into the skies by your faithfulness, by your kindness, and by the gospel. Help us, Lord, to encourage each other today as we're gathered. Help us, Lord, I pray that your spirit would lead us to do good acts like they're called to in this passage to share what they have for those in need. Help us to do that. Help us to be a light to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.